0: Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more the early learning sector have started their campaign for greater access to early learning in the lead up to the federal election. At the moment, we have universal access for all children in early learning the year before they go to school. The Early Learning and Care Council of Australia, ALACA, that's how we'll refer to them in the future of this interview, want this to be Two years to cover the ages three to five. Elizabeth Death is the CEO of Alaka and she joins me in the studio now. Hi Elizabeth, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Sherman. Now I think this is something that people get confused by. I know I am. Can you just clear up for me, what does universal access mean in a practical sense for families? It doesn't mean childcare is free,
1: does it? Or oh. Unfortunately, no. (laughs) What it means is that it refers to a national partnership agreement on universal access for uh, four-year-olds to access early childhood education. Um, What it is is actually different in all jurisdictions, in fact. Right. Um, (laughs) Just to simplify things. Just to simplify things. It's a really complex um, national partnership agreement. But putting it simply, um, there's funding that's delivered from the federal government to each state and territory to ensure that all four-year-olds in the year before school access at least 600 hours of a preschool program in the year before school. Right. And is,
0: is that roughly about two days a week? Approximately. Okay. And depending on, on where you are in the country, this it could be you get rebates for what you're paying for that period of time.
1: Not necessarily. Again, it's about how it's delivered. So in different jurisdictions, for example, New South Wales really is at the bottom of the pile as far as providing enough funding for early learning in the year before school. They target their funding primarily to only community-based preschools, which, as we know, operate for sure for hours each day. Um, And a very, very small amount goes to the early learning or long day centres where Most working parents need that that support. I was just thinking that because,
0: amongst parents, we'd always go, we'd always talk about community um, learning centres as the amazing place where it was affordable for childcare, not necessarily practical for work, but yes, that's really interesting. Okay. So um, you're campaigning on um, extending that year prior to school to be from the ages of three to five. Why is that period important to you? Why do you want to extend it? Uh,
1: That's a really critical, critical brain development period for young children. Um, There's a number of different reasons. Um, Basically, If we can have all of those children having access to play-based, quality play-based early learning in the two years before school, um, it not only sets them up for a wonderful transition into school, into formal schooling, but it actually sets them up for life. Um, It gives them the skills they need for life, for school and life. It gives them um, basically the capacity to approach tasks with critical thinking, with creativity, with um, confidence in a way that one in five children across Australia can't do at the moment. One in five children are starting school behind. We want all children to have the benefit of the two years of early learning to set them up for life.
0: Now, there's a few things um, that I'd like to come back to. In what you just mentioned there. But let's talk about the child-based learning and why it's important for children to get that in an early learning setting. Because you'll have parents who are able to stay home, who don't need to um, go to work for whatever reason. And they might look at early learning and go, oh, that's just for working parents. I can give my child everything they need at home. What is it that these centres can offer this age bracket that they can't get at home?
1: I don't know about you, Siobhan, but I certainly knew that even though I'm a qualified early childhood teacher, I couldn't deliver all the things that I I would (laughs) like to deliver at home for my own children. Um, So basically you have qualified and degree qualified early childhood teachers and you have diploma qualified educators and certificate qualified educators who are experts in their field. Uh, What they do consolidates the wonderful first teaching learning space that the children have with their families, builds on the children's own interests and capacity, scaffolds their learning in a way that they've been taught to understand child development and the whole child. That parent bond is just magic and that's the lifelong bond that a parent and a child will have that we need to nurture as early childhood educators. We need to work with those parents but sometimes there are things that Often with a first child, a parent might not necessarily notice a developmental concern. Once you have somebody with an early childhood background who's competent at observing children, understanding child development, understanding the, it's not linear, it can go in all different directions. However, there are some very clear um, clear identifiers where a child may have a hearing loss or a child may have a speech delay or a child may have um, an emotional um idiosyncrasy or something that's just not quite sitting right with the early childhood teacher. Now, they have boundaries around their expertise, but they know as an early intervention point that they can refer those children on to the professionals, whether it's an occupational therapist, a speech pathologist, to have a full paediatric assessment. And in many cases, um, children with autism spectrum disorder are picked up very early. And the earlier these things are picked up, the more productive the early intervention can be and the more chance that child has of really succeeding in life.
0: Well, talk to me about child-led learning uh, or child-led play and all those sorts of things that go on in early learning. What is it that our educators are being trained in? Um, Because I have seen some amazing educators at work with my own children and just the way they look at things is fascinating and the way they get into their the kids' minds is incredible, um, but what are they being trained to do when it comes to that stuff? Because people go, "Oh, it's just play; it's just <laughs> letting a kid go and pick up a stick."
1: Hmm. And you could look at it that way, or you could look at it through the eyes of an early childhood teacher, and you could say, hmm, "What was the motivation for that child to pick up that stick? Where was that child? Well, what, what were they going to use it for?" What. What was the interaction they had with the other children around them when they did that? Are they trying to engage other children in that play or are they playing solitary? There are a whole range of different things that an early childhood educator will be looking at. How did they hold it? What's their grasp like? Um, Are their fine motor skills developing at a level we would expect? Um, Are they, uh, uh, let's say, for example, they, they go into the block area? Okay, so they've got a whole lot of blocks. They might put one block down. And then a little bit later, I might put another block on top. Um, That's amazing. That's spatial awareness. That's balance. That's early maths concepts. Um, And then another child will come along or an adult will come along, an early childhood teacher, and say, What would you like to do something else with that? How about we put such and such into this play? Um, Perhaps it's an animal or another piece of material even that could represent something. Rather than actually telling the children what to do, letting the children actually work with the materials that they've got, follow their interests, be supported by the adult to extend them to the next level of understanding. So we've got two blocks on top of each other. I wonder if we can balance three. What's that doing for the child? That's helping them understand their their motor skills, understanding the spatial awareness. If they put a really big block on top of the two small ones, it's going to topple over hypothesise. Why did that happen? Why do you think that happened? What could you do differently? A whole range of different things that, that builds um, hypotheses. Uh, children are absolutely uh, wonderful explorers of their surroundings. We don't. It's best not to give them answers. Early childhood teachers are taught to investigate with the children. Tell me about why you thought that happened. What else can we do? Where can we find that information? Let's for, say, for example, the water going down the sink. Oh, where does the water go when it goes down the sink? I don't know. How do we find out? Who do we ask? Can we search that on the internet? Let's find the plans for the building. Let's see where the plumbing goes to in our building. Where does it go after it leaves our building? I mean, there are the investigation and the opportunities. Ordinary moments are extraordinary moments for early childhood teachers because they pick up on where the child's at and they say, where can we go to from here and how can we build their learning?
0: Oh, and it's easy to understand why they're so passionate when you speak like that. Um, talk to me about that number one in five are behind when they start school. What does that look like? because people might hear that and say, "Oh, they can't count to ten or they don't know the alphabet. What do we mean when we say one in five are behind?
1: There's a the Australian Early Development Census, which is completed on across Australia every three years, is the measure that that number comes from. So basically there are a number of different domains, whether it's physical, whether it's language, whether it's social, there's five different domains. What one in five behind means is that there are, one in five children are not meeting what would be the expected level across those five domains. So they're vulnerable in two or more of those domains. Um, it also means that I think it's really important to acknowledge that it doesn't matter where a child lives, what their family income is, what their socioeconomic status is, it's, this is across the board. Of course, our more vulnerable and disadvantaged children have um, an absolute need for extended support and targeted support. But we need universal access, that means every child has that access, so that one, it becomes a, a rite of passage for all children. Two, children aren't stigmatised. The ones we really feel will get the most benefit out of that quality early learning are often the ones that won't come if it's a stigmatised, targeted approach. So who, when
0: you're, this campaign, which is called Launch Into Learning, you're, um, as I mentioned, it's for um, universal access for ages three to five. I'm not sure that you can simplify this for those of us lay people out there, but how are you um, encouraging the government to go about that? Like, how would you achieve that given at the moment it seems so different in different parts of Australia? The
1: first absolute first point is to commit financially. The federal government needs to commit financially to two years of early learning. Right now, the current federal government hasn't committed anything past this current year. Wow. So, Why? <laughs>
0: it's obviously something we need past this first
1: this year now. Absolutely. Considering right now, Australia is right down the bottom of all OECD countries. Our countries that we would like to compare ourselves with, we are so far behind in our funding. Most of those other countries, for example New Zealand or the UK, China, they have two years, if not three years of early learning for all their children already.
0: And is that just because our politi- our politicians aren't hearing the message about how much difference it makes long term? Because it seems that they're always about outcomes. You talk about NAPLAN tests, it's all about getting ahead. Are they just missing all this research that says if we invest now, you'll get back later yes
1: it baffles me um, we have we have so much research and international research to back this up that the investment in the early years will get better outcomes Um, for every every dollar you spend in early years you'll get much more benefit out of your Gonski dollar <laughs> yeah, yeah so and you'll get much more benefit with children not accessing um, much lower rate of children accessing juvenile justice, um, a much higher NAPLAN result for the majority of children. You have children, more children completing high school. You have more children who are getting, more adults who are getting jobs and more adults who are actually healthier in their lifelong learning and, uh, and their whole wellbeing. So it makes no sense right now that we have a current government who doesn't even commit to four-year-olds past this year and is using participation rates as a distraction.
0: So what about the opposition? Are, you, are they listening to you? Are they hearing what you've got to say?
1: Uh, we welcome what the Bill Shorten government has committed to, and that's $10.8 billion over the next 10 years to deliver two years of early learning for every Australian child, whether they attend a community preschool or a long day early learning setting.
0: Wow. That's a big shift, right? It's enormous. Right. Okay. So um, how can people get involved? I mean, obviously, people will be across the political s- spectrum for lots of different reasons. Um, how can they get involved in cu- in
1: encouraging a similar commitment from the current government? We're, this is a bipartisan uh, campaign. Launch into Get online sign up to the petition and be an active participant, because, which is not hard. It's simply signing up and asking your friends to sign up. Have a conversation, explain the importance of the early years. I'll come round for a barbecue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is real grassroots uh, campaigning here. I love it. Um, but it, I think the other thing that strikes me about this is that we come to care about this as parents when our children are in early learning. But it will be an issue um, once our kids leave early learning and head into primary school. It's an issue for our whole country,
1: isn't mm-hmm. it? Look, it's it's good for children, it's good for families and it's good for the economy. There was a recent article in um, the paper around it a significant company investing in early years education because they want a qualified workforce. Mm. We don't know what work skills our children are going to need in 20, 30 years. We do know that the workforce will be changing, that all of the professions they'll be going into will be very different to what we have now in the majority of cases, but we also, we certainly know that they will need to be creative, that they will need to be confident, and they will need to be able to liaise and work with others.
0: Mm, okay, everyone, get, on, get online. It's called Launch Into Learning. We'll pop links in the episode notes of this podcast. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. That was Elizabeth Death. She's the CEO of the Early Learning and Care Council of Australia. When you're trying to conceive and it's just not happening, it can be tough on you and your partner. I think it's you've got to watch what is the toll on the individual and what is the toll on the relationship and how are we travelling through this together That's psychotherapist Ginny Lindsay. On the next episode of Feed, Play, Love, she's talking about how to manage your emotions when you're trying to fall pregnant. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you'll join me for the next episode of Feed, Play, Love.